Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in, a, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone whom I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. What does the wilderness look like? The other night, <clears throat> Doug and I watched one of the episodes in the current Netflix series called Losers, if you're familiar with that series. <clears throat> the one that we watched was about an Italian man named Mauro Prosperi. Mauro is a modern Italian pentathlete who became famous after becoming lost in the Sahara Desert during an endurance event in 1994. Prosperi took part in the 1994 Marathon de Sable, so the Marathon of Sand, in Morocco. Partway through this six-day, 145-mile running event, a sandstorm caused Maro to lose his way. He ended up disoriented and ran in the wrong direction, ultimately running over 100 miles into neighboring Algeria. After 24 hours, he ran out of food and water. Maro arrived in an abandoned Muslim shrine and survived for a few days by eating raw bats, which he pulled down from the low ceiling. Eventually, a helicopter and a plane passed overhead, but he failed to catch their attention. Not wishing to die a long, drawn-out death, Prosperi attempted to commit suicide in the shrine, but this attempt failed. He then regained his composure and set out again on foot. 
He stumbled into an oasis where a little girl spied him and ran to a nearby tent inhabited by local women who gave him goat's milk and saved his life. So after nine days alone in the desert, Mara had been found. He was taken to an Algerian military camp and from there to a hospital. He was 186 miles off route and had lost 40 pounds of body weight. He received a hero's welcome back in his hometown of Rome, but he paid a dear personal cost when his wife and children left him as they were unable to deal with the emotional trauma of Mara's addiction to participation in risky athletic events. What does the wilderness look like? What comes to mind when we envision the wilderness? The North African Saharan Desert in Morocco, maybe? Or the Badlands in Montana? The petrified forest in Arizona? When we speak of the wilderness, we often conjure up an image from far away, a remote and distant place, so as to remove ourselves from the story in today's gospel. Thus, we can read the story of Jesus in the wilderness, feeling appropriately and comfortably detached. However, the Lenten imagery of wilderness is not meant to make us experience faith in a detached, remote way at all. Rather, the image of wilderness is meant to rather ironically draw us closer to God. Why ironically? Because if we're paying attention to the gospel this morning, we see that when Jesus is led into the wilderness, it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the leading. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where Satan eagerly awaits the Holy Spirit delivers Jesus then directly into the hands of Satan. At first, this might make us feel further away from God, distant and detached, or even confused and angry that the Holy Spirit would do such a ridiculous thing. After all, what kind of God leads his own son into temptation, into the hands of Satan himself? After all, we precisely pray in the Lord's Prayer that God not lead us into temptation. So why in the world does God's Spirit do that very thing that we pray he does not do by leading Jesus and us directly into the wilderness and into the hands of Satan. The Holy Spirit leads us into the wilderness because life happens in the wilderness. Indeed, life is the wilderness. At first, this might seem unexpected or even offensive, because after all, the life of the baptized is supposed to be smooth sailing, isn't it? Evidently not, as the newly baptized Jesus finds himself precisely in that place where he least expects and least desires to be in the wilderness, battling Satan. Nonetheless, this is where it all starts for Jesus, and the same is true for us. The baptized life begins here, in the wilderness of life, not in some remote 
distant Saharan desert, but right here in the actual, literal, and immediate wilderness of the classroom, our office, our research lab, a public bus, a lunchroom. It is in these places where we encounter Satan who tempts us to judge other people, oppress other people, dehumanize, seize power, play God. And it is precisely here in the wilderness where God's subversive work of radical justice and love begins through us. God's Holy Spirit then leads us directly into those places in life where our faith is challenged. The Nashville sit-in movement officially began with the first sit-in taking place in February of 1960, yet this was preceded by months of student participation in workshops conducted by Vanderbilt Divinity School. These workshops dealt with the discipline of nonviolence as espoused by Gandhi with specific reflection on the Christian faith and its role in bringing about peace and justice. Born then from a profound emphasis on the teachings of the Christian tradition, the sit-ins served as a concrete response to the injustice of segregation in the United States. As supporter and activist John Lewis recalls his involvement and experiences in that movement, it is evident how Christian love Faith to love one's neighbor uh, as oneself was central in the face of racist bigotry at that time. He wrote, this is fascinating, if you remember department stores uh, that used to have lunch counters, right? He wrote, uh, we used to go into Five and Tens, Woolworth, Kresge's, McClellan's, because these stores were famous in the South. We would take our seats at lunch counters, which refused to serve African Americans in a very orderly and peaceful fashion. Our students, black and white, were dressed like they were on their way to church. The managers ordered always that the lunch counters then be closed, that the restaurants be closed, and we would sit there all day long as we were harassed, mocked, and ridiculed. These sit-ins might seem small and insignificant, however, when reflecting on our text, which we just heard from Deuteronomy, we're made aware of God's power in the wilderness, power to bring about peace and justice for all people. The wilderness then becomes not only a place of temptation and despair, but also a place bursting with potential and possibility and hope. When we look at the wilderness of life in this way, we finally discover that Satan isn't the only one whom we encounter in the wilderness. We also encounter God. In times of temptation, we seek God in the wilderness, who alone has words of eternal life. If you are paying close attention to this morning's Gospel from Luke, the miracle, it seems to me, isn't so much that Jesus prevailed over Satan, although that's lovely, the miracle is that although the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, it never says that he leaves Jesus there. So then as Jesus battles Satan, the Holy Spirit is right by his side. In the same way, the Holy Spirit leads you into your wilderness, yes, as uncomfortable and scary as that might be, 
But the Holy Spirit does not abandon you there. So in your classroom or your lab or your office or your lunch counter, when your very identity as a child of God is being contested and challenged, when you are called on in uncomfortable and necessary ways to protect the dignity of every human life, know that the Holy Spirit is at your side, guiding you and equipping you to be a Christian in public life. So rather than, rather than praying, lead us not into temptation, it might be more accurate to pray, when you lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil. Give us strength and power then in the wilderness as you gave your son, Jesus Christ. Give strength and power to our brothers and sisters in the Church of the Nazarene here in Iowa City, whose building just this past week was vandalized with swastikas and racist graffiti. A congregation that is dedicated to working with the immigrant population here in Iowa City through a food pantry, legal counseling, citizenship classes, domestic supplies, and English tutoring. In their wilderness, may this congregation encounter the Holy Spirit fighting by their side in the form of a prayer vigil, which is happening this Tuesday, the day after tomorrow from 7 to 8, as our Iowa City community embraces them and restores their passion for justice and love for the vulnerable and marginalized populations here in town. And finally, if that wilderness that you fear the most isn't an external place at all, but rather the inside of your own head, the same truth prevails. As internal voices bombard you with untruth and accuse you and belittle you, listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit amidst the din, for it is there in the wilderness of the human mind. An accusing voice might speak to you in your brain, but God's Holy Spirit also dwells in your head and in your heart, waging war on those voices that tempt you to think that you are nothing. The voice of God is in your wilderness as well, calling you back to the truth, the truth that you are worth everything in the eyes of God, that you are so precious in God's sight that God will stop at nothing to prove God's love for you, that God will never leave your side no matter what wilderness you might find yourself in. We leave our texts today then with that image of a lunch counter in our heads, a profound image of real-life wilderness transformed by God's justice, a table where all feast together, immigrants and aliens, persons of every race and ethnicity, of every sexual orientation and gender identity, displaced and forgotten persons, indigenous and hopeless nations, broken people and ones who are lost in the wilderness, all gathered together by the Holy Spirit of God to receive nourishment and strength for the long journey that lies ahead. Amen.